Hallelujah. Can you give the Lord a hand clap of praise as you're seated this morning? Hallelujah. Thank you for being here. God bless you. Welcome this morning. Welcome. Uh, we are officially nine weeks away from our uh, grand opening at our new location over on Wells Street in Weirton. We are excited. We're tired. We're painted. I never thought I'd have painted fingernails. That wasn't my gig, but here we are. Uh, but we're, we're uh, working hard. We've got uh, a lot of things in the works. We're going to be having a, a big weekend nine weeks from now. Uh, be the weekend of uh, Thanksgiving. And we're going to be uh, very, very uh, diligent in getting done what we can get done. And what can't be finished in time, we're just going to lock the door and tell you don't look in that room. Uh, but we are, we are going to start uh, at, uh, on that date. Uh, whether we're, do- we're, we're done enough right now that if we had to, we could just go ahead and, uh, and kick the doors open and start having church. So uh, in the next nine weeks, we're going to be diligent to uh, get done what we can to beautify God's house and give him the best we have. Amen? Uh, but uh, we're excited about what God's going to do. I think that there's a new season. There's, it's been a rough year. It's been a strange year. Uh, there's been a lot of things come against uh, the body of Christ. I, I think that probably this is the, the worst that it's ever been for as long as it's been in all of our lifetimes. Uh, I, don't, I can't imagine unless you went through some kind of a real long physical sickness or someone in your family did, I can't imagine anything lasting as long as this has and, and affecting you in so many different areas. Which is one reason I want to preach what I'm preaching this morning. My series is titled Under God, and I would be remiss... If I had concluded this message series and did not include the name of God that I'm going to deal with this morning. Because the series is titled, Under God. And if I'm going to be under God, then I'm going to have to understand who Jehovah Nisi is. Because I'm going to talk to you this morning about the Lord is my banner. I am under the banner of the Lord. Now, I'm going to be dealing this morning uh, with the story out of Exodus chapter 17. Now, this is a story that I, in this series, earlier this year, I already referenced this story, but I told you I was going to come back to it and go into it in great detail, and that's going to be what we do this morning. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Now, the people of Exodus chapter 17, God's people, Israel, We're doing what a lot of church people do today. They were complaining. And they were complaining because there was a lack of water in the land. They had camped at a place called Rephidim. And they were hungry and they were thirsty. And there was no water to be had. And they complained. And God did what God does. He overlooked their selfishness. And he granted their prayers. And he provided water for them. And the highlight of their complaining came in verse 7. Let's jump into verse 7 together. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord. And what did they tempt the Lord? They said this, is God with us or not? This is where I want to begin my sermon this morning. Where is God when you need Him most? 
How many times has life kicked you? This is a rhetorical question. Don't raise your hand. But how many times has life kicked you so hard that it literally made you, a believer, ask the question, is God with me or not? Now, I'm going to testify this morning because I don't expect any of you to be honest enough to tell your neighbor the truth in this. But I'm going to tell you that there have been times when I, as a preacher, where I, as an ordained minister, where I, as a pastor, where I, uh, as a believer in all things that the Scripture teaches me, have been hit by life so difficult that I have asked God, God, are you even there? Because life gets hard sometimes. And where is God anyway when you need Him the most? This was the question that they asked. And the scenario brought, is brought out in verse 8. And then came Amalek. So they're already tired, they're hungry, they're thirsty. They just got some water. And then came the enemy. And fought with them in Rephidim. Now, Rephidim is a rugged desert place, so there was no water unless God supernaturally provided it for them. God's people are weary, and wouldn't you know it, now they got to deal with Amalek. Amalek's shown up and wants to pick a fight. He comes to resist them, just like, just as it seems things are starting to get better, and they had just gotten some water, things turn south again. And they start asking God, God, are you on our side or not? And Moses does something that I poke fun at all the time. So allow me to have some literary license here. Moses tells Joshua, the Amalek's coming to fight us. So you pick an army and go down on the battlefield and fight them. I'm going to go up on the mountain and pray. <laughs> And Moses tells him, choose for us an army, and I'm going to take God's stick, the staff of the Lord, up on the mountain. And Joshua did as Moses taught him, and he went down into the valley, and he fought against Amalek. Now, I'm going to set a precedence right now that if you miss this in the beginning, you're going to miss this message. Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the mountain. When Moses held his hands high, Israel in the valley was winning the battle. When Moses let his hands down, the enemy prevailed. The problem was you can only hold your hands up for so long. And when his arms got heavy, his situation got worse. I, I, I've already started preaching. You're waiting on me to start and I'm already there. When his arms got heavy, his situation got worse. See, Amalek represents any force of evil that seeks to derail you from fulfilling the purposes of God in your life. So the heavier they got in the spirit realm, the more they began to suffer in the natural. This is why you can't bring me your half-backslidden husband and you treat him like you want to and he talks to you the way he wants to and you expect me to fix it by giving you some scripture. Because just because you want to fix something in the natural doesn't mean you have entered into the spirit place because your natural is always going to suffer if your spirit ain't where it's supposed to be. His arms got heavy. So what does he do? Verse 12 tells us Moses' hands were heavy. 
So they took a stone and they set it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and her held up his hands. One on one side, the other on the other side. And his hands were steady to the going down of the sun. Here's what Moses did. And here's what you need to know. He had two brothers with him. And their only job was not to beat him over the head with Scripture. Their only job was not to lay hands on him and speak in tongues. Their only job was not to tell him how sinful he was or how filthy his mouth was. Their only job was to hold up his hands. Their job wasn't to, uh, was to make sure that the heaviness of his spirit... See, when you start making contact with God, it is heavy stuff going on. When you start praying and really enter into intense spiritual warfare, there is some heavy stuff going on. And when that started going down, it was their job to make sure that he didn't sink with them. See, see because he knew that if he lost sight of the spiritual, because his arms was heavy, the situation was not going to get better. Because when you lose in the spirit, Make no mistake about it, everything else is coming down too. His dependence on God had to be held up. And sometimes your arms get heavy. I wish to tell you this morning that I could stand up here and tell all of you like the procrastinators of prosperity on television. Tell you that if you believe in God, nothing bad will ever fall upon your house. That if you have enough faith, child of God, you can rise up like a mighty army. And I, I heard one of those, um, well, I, the Bible says call no man a fool. I heard uh, one of those this morning when I was clicking through uh, the channel where they were trying to tell us that with faith all things are possible. That devil can't do this if you got enough faith. And sickness can't do that. And COVID can't do that if you have enough faith. But I haven't read such stories in my Bible. I have read in my Bible where God allowed his people to be tested. I, I've read in my Bible where God allowed things to happen just to see if you were going to stay the course or if you were going to go back to Egypt. And this story is one of these situations where I can see two dichotomies of God going on at the same time. Because God wants you to understand that you can't do this by yourself. If COVID taught us anything, it's that our natural and our spiritual worship are different. Because he separated you from natural worship. You couldn't come to the house of the Lord. You couldn't gather in as, as we are here this morning. And even right now, we're not able to do it the way we used to do it. Even right now, you can't come in and be hugging necks and shaking hands and get, getting in the altar and 17 people getting around you and praying for you. What COVID has done is it has separated physical worship from spirit worship. Because what it has done is caused you to understand that when you get tired and weary in the natural, it will sometimes drag down your spirit. And yet, the most important connection you have is not uh, with people, but with Him. However, people matter. The reason why God wants you to be part of a local church body is because He wants you to be connected with an Aaron and a her. Some people that will come along beside you and when stuff gets heavy will hold your arms up. 
when you want to lay down and quit, there's a voice saying, come on now, you've come too far to turn back. You've got to get up and get back. You can do better than this. Where was you at Sunday? You told me you was coming to church. I know y'all don't like that in this day and age, but sometimes when stuff gets heavy and you don't feel like praying like you should and you don't even listen to the preaching when it's being preached, you need some help keeping your arms pointed the right direction because when your arms are down, everything else in your life is coming down. But when your hands are Godward, everything in your life is pointed in the right direction. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. I'm going I'm to share something with you that, that I never realized before about this story. I've made fun of this story. I've cracked a, jokes about this story so many times, and, and I still think it's humorous. I still think it's humorous to, to, for me to tell you, you go down there. If we're in the woods together and we come across a, a grizzly bear, and I say, you go fight that grizzly bear, I'm going to climb a tree and speak in tongues. I think it's humorous how Moses said, you go down and fight. I'm going to go up on the mountain and hold a stick up. But understand that if there had been no Aaron and there had been no her, when everything got heavy, everybody lost. This is what we don't understand so often in our life because we get so tired. We think everything is physical. We think everything that is happening is happening natural. But your natural is tied to the spiritual. And when you look, drop your hands, everything fails. When you drop your hands, everybody loses. The ones on the battlefield had no idea that they were engaged in a fight and the fight was not just in front of them, but it was also above them. And the outcome had nothing to do with how tough they were. And it had nothing to do with the power of positive thinking or naming and claiming their victory. Their winning had to do with Moses holding up his arms. And when Moses' arms fell, the enemy won. No matter how determined and full of faith the fighters were, could it be that the reason why your Amalek won't go away is because you think it's what you're doing that determines your outcome? Now, what you're doing is important, of course. The role you play is important. The Bible teaches us that. But what you do is never sufficient when there's an evil attack attached to your problem. When your problem has to do with struggling with demons, what you do in the flesh is never going to be enough. You'll never be tough enough. You'll never be mean enough. And you can't last long enough. Oh, you may push it away for a while. You may just have great willpower and you will be able to cut that bad relationship off because you're tough. You, you may have great willpower and you'll stop using for a season. You'll stop drinking for a season because you're just tough. You may push it away for a while. You may be able to manage it for a while, but you will never ever address it and kill it until you get heaven involved in the battle. Because when you understand that your flesh has an end point, but your spirit Spirit lives on forever. Your spirit is immovable, unshakable, steadfast, and you have the ability to overcome everything when you engage heaven in the battle. So you need to understand how to get under a banner. Joshua fought on the ground. Moses was on the mountain above the fight. Verse 13 is the conclusion of what happened. And Joshua beat Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. 
And verse 14 says, And Moses, the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in a book. Rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. He says, put this in the record. What I'm trying to do when I preach to you every Sunday is I'm trying to put it in your record. I'm trying to make you understand when you hear the words that I say, I'm trying to put something on record. And this morning, what I'm trying to put on record is this. If you are fighting your battles, uh, 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 whatever those battles are, you are actually doing two things, not just one thing. You give your best while you are down in the valley, but you better be uh, knowing how to hold the banner up up on the hill. You surround yourself with help, all the help that you need to hold your hands high that's going to help overcome and, 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 and the thing that is overwhelming you. And you may be under circumstances, and I can't guarantee you that Amalek won't come looking for a fight. I will never try to convince you that Amalek doesn't have a powerful attack. But what I will tell you is that even though Amalek has some of the stuff you were supposed to have, he's captured some of the people that you love and appreciate. He does not have to have you. You are more than a conqueror, and you don't have to fall victim to Amalek. You've got to get both in the battlefield and on the mountain. There has to be a spiritual presence. There has to be a spiritual commitment. So God says this, write it in the book. I will block out, don't read that too fast. I will block out the memory of Amalek. Whoa, let's get this straight. God says, I'm going to make sure you don't even remember this fight. You realize that the reason some people lose over and over and over again is because they get rid of a little bit of Amalek, but they don't ever really get rid of all of it. Listen, I'm going to drop an anchor here just for a second because I want you to understand why you lose in the spirit realm so often. You can't play around with Amalek. My Wednesday night study this week will be about Saul and the Amalekites. But you also love some of them folks living over at Amalek And you don't want to get rid of them just so you can have more of him And the reason some of us have part-time victory Is because we have never disconnected from the people that are trying to kill us Oh, that's better preaching than your shouting, I promise you Here's why God wanted them to get rid of Amalek totally. He said, I'm going to erase the memory of them. Because he knew that if you don't get rid of Amalek, Amalek would come back and take care of you. Now, if you got cancer, would you want just a, a most of it gone? Or would you want to get rid of all it? Well, you wouldn't want to come, you wouldn't go to the doctor and say, hey, doc, I tell you what, can you just leave a little bit of that cancer hanging around because I've taken a liking to it? And yet we have spiritual cancers 
operating in our lives and we won't cut them off and we pray God will give us victory and we pray that he'll help us more, be more than overcomers and we pray that God's going to help us with breakthrough and we want to see signs and wonders and miracles and all the while we've got all these Amaleks coming to church with us. we got all these Amalekites that we work with. we got all this stuff going on on Friday night that we don't want nobody at the church to know about. Y'all not going to help me now, are you? My whole amen committee just resigned on me. we got all this stuff hanging around in our life that we have never disposed of because we think the natural and the spiritual don't have nothing to do with each other. But I'm trying to tell you that if you're sick in one, you're sick everywhere. That's why in 1 Samuel chapter 15, he tells Saul to get rid of, of Amalek. And I'll, I'll deal with that on my Wednesday night teaching. And, and Saul gets rid of most of them. But he keeps some of them around as trophies. And then Saul goes to church and he gets the most valuable lesson that I ever learned as a young Christian. Obedience is better than worship. Obedience is better than worship. You can sit on your hands and never ever sing the songs and obey God and make it to heaven. But you can sing all of Elevation's playlist and if you don't obey the Lord, you'll split hell wide open when this life is over because obedience is better than worship. And all these acts of worship that we think make us something, but you don't understand if you're, if you're performing in the flesh, but not connecting in the Spirit, obedience always trumps praise. Ah. Moses builds an altar and he calls the place Jehovah Nisi. Because Joshua didn't know what Moses was doing. But Moses knew what Joshua was doing. Moses knew that when Joshua, Joshua was dependent on what was happening on the mountain. So when he built the altar, he said, the Lord is my banner. Here's what, what Moses' message was to his people. The Lord has swore that he's going to wipe out the memory of Amalek. That means from generation to generation, they won't remember their name. Because whenever Amalek shows up, I'm going to show up too. Here's what God was promising them. I'm going to hold up a banner that says, if you operate underneath my banner, this banner is going to tell everybody that you are operating according to a standard that is higher than you are. Hell's going to know that if it comes and picks a fight with you, it's not just looking at you. It's looking above your head and seeing the Lord is my banner. It's going to realize that if it attacks your house, it's not just some random house of the Johnsons over on 6th Street. He's attacking a house that's got a banner over it. And his banner over me is love. And his power operates here. And wherever that banner is, the enemy knows he better step aside. So that raises an important question. What exactly is a banner? And what am I supposed to hold up? If I'm supposed to raise his banner over my life, what is it I'm supposed to hold up? Well, I'm glad you asked. They say, I'm not a sailor, they say that if you're a, a, in a boat and you ever get lost, in order for you to get back safely to the shore, now if you ride in a canoe with Glenn, you don't have to worry about this because you never get too far off the shore because he just flips the canoe over and tries to drown the preacher. I think he had a lot of faith in me. He thought I was a man of God. He wanted to see if I could walk on the water. But we, <laughs> we never got five feet off the bank. He freaked out and turned the whole boat over. But 
Hey, Brother Glenn, what's happening out there? That was pre-dreadlocks, Glenn, right there. He couldn't do that. Now, he'd, he'd stay in that boat now. He'd, he'd make it float now. He wouldn't want to get that hair wet. <laughs> they say that if you're ever in a boat and you get lost, you're supposed to not look at anything around you in the water. But you're supposed to pick a landmark that is unaffected by the waves. In other words, you're supposed to pick a lighthouse, you're supposed to pick a mountain, you're supposed to pick a tree that is on the shore and head directly toward it because if you don't, you can become confused and just keep traveling in circles. Have you ever got so confused in life that you don't know whether you're coming or going? Can I tell you that when you fly this banner in your life, it gives you a standard outside of yourself that will help instruct you on how to interpret what is real and what is a lie. That's the most important statement I'm going to say today. Because when you're trying to find direction, when you're trying to find bearing in life, you need a standard that is not tied to your emotions and is not tied to your feelings. Because how you feel right now has absolutely nothing to do with the truth of the matter. Because you'll be up and down and all around. Your emotions will go nuts and crazy. It can be affected by hormones. It can be affected because you got a bad attitude. It can be affected because somebody else has a bad attitude but one thing is always the truth and that is the standard and if you keep your eyes on the standard you will come out of this tragedy see see you've got to have something outside of your heartbreak you got to have something that is not attached itself to your miserable condition when you go to work every day and they are pounding on you and, and compressing you and depressing you and making you feel like you are less than, you can't let your emotions get tied around that because you'll make bad choices when your heart is leading you and your emotions are leading you or your mind is leading you. No, no, no. you got to have a standard that sees the whole picture and says, I'm not going to make my decisions based on how I feel at 12 o'clock noon. I'm going to make my decisions based on what it is written the truth of his word so everything that is tied to emotions and feelings you want right now so you need a point of reference that's going to keep you true north no matter how the wind and the waves react so there needs to be a standard that you will operate by in Numbers chapter 21 I don't have time to read you the, the story but Numbers chapter 21 God's people, it seems, it seems like they was a complaining bunch. I, I mean, it just seems like all the time God was chastising them for complaining. The Bible calls it murmuring. Uh, stiff-necked people. You call people stiff-necked people now, they don't understand King James English. They won't know whether you're insulting them or complimenting them. But he called them a stiff-necked people who were murmurers and complainers. And in Numbers chapter 21, God had just about had enough of it. So because they had complained against God, he did something about it. He sent poisonous snakes into the camp. And the only people that the snakes was allowed to bite was the folks who'd been complaining. Now if some random Sunday... 
heaven opened up. And God just dropped a couple of vipers into the sanctuary and then shut the doors. Are you making it out of here alive? I'm asking for a friend. I'm just wondering because the only folks that was allowed to be bitten by the snakes was the folks who had been complaining this whole time. And the people who had been complaining didn't have to worry about the the snakes. And there were consequences to their rebellion. And so they started crying out, For mercy, and here's how God fixed it. You ready for this? He says, put a snake on a stick. Get a pole, put a bronze serpent on it, and hold it up high. You ready for this? I'm about to drop something on you. Hold it up high, because standards are always elevated from where you are right now. You're not where God wants you to be. I don't care how long you've been walking here. There's still another level for you to get to. Don't ever get complacent. Don't ever get satisfied. Don't ever take a moment off because God knows it and so does your enemy. God knows you took a moment off and Amalek knows it too. So the Bible says that he says raise up, elevate this snake and tell Israel that if they will look to the serpent, they will live. I'm getting ready to get out of your way. Stay with me just for a minute. Tell Israel, if they look at the snake, they'll live. And everybody who looked at the serpent lived. Everybody who was waiting in line at Rite Aid didn't. Everybody who was on the internet searching WebMD for cure for snake bite died. In other words... Everybody who was running back and forth from their friend's house. Everybody who was dealing with the power of positive thinking. Everybody who was trying to do better themselves died. Because God only had one standard. Look at the snake. He did not give them 50 ways to get healed. He gave them one. And he rose it up high. Because your standard is always elevated. And he says, if you believe that I have built into that snake on a stick the healing power of your life, then you will abide by my word and you will look and you will live. And everybody who tried to do it their way died. Jump over to John's Gospel, chapter 3 and verse 14. One of the most famous passages in all the scripture concludes with this thought. Just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And everybody who looks on Him will live. And everybody who doesn't, won't. And if you want your healing, you've got to look at the one who was rose up as a standard. But if you try to figure things out your own, y'all are not going to help. If you're trying to Google it and find your answer, if you're trying to find it in a friend's house, if you're trying to find it in a bad bedroom relationship, if you're trying to find it here and there, you won't survive. He said the only people that's going to make it is the one who sees me rose up and uses that as their standard. I've come to tell somebody this morning, it doesn't matter who's in the White House come January this coming year, there is still a standard 
standard and it doesn't be affected by who gets voted in or who does it. There is one standard. It doesn't matter whether the abortionists uh, are able to continue or not. There is still a standard that says you shouldn't do these kind of things. It doesn't matter what legislature comes down the pipe that says this is right and this is not right because there is one standard and his moral law will not change. It's not affected by votes. It's not affected by gerrymandering. There is nothing under the sun that is new to God. He alone is the standard. His name is Jesus. Look to Him and you will live. And everybody that doesn't won't. Don't matter how good they are. Doesn't matter how hard they try or how many tears they cry. If He isn't the standard that you, uh, that you operate under, all that hard work you're doing, all that stuff you're doing in the flesh, doesn't matter if you're not getting right in the Spirit. What I'm trying to tell you is that while you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing on the ground, if you're not pointed toward Jesus Christ, you're never going to get the spiritual help you need for the battle that you're in. And if you don't know what that banner is, your focus is on the wrong thing. And you don't have anything pointing you in the right direction, so you're aimless. That's why the Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in every way. Because you have no standard. So many of our solutions to our Amalek problems is right in front of us. But we're looking at the wrong place. You know, I've watched people work for 10 years trying to solve something that should have been took care of by the end of the day. But God couldn't get us under the standard. God couldn't get us under the right banner. And our hands got heavy. And we got tired. And we let down our arms because the Spirit was pointed the wrong direction. When Aaron and Hur held Moses' hands up, they pointed his hands toward the source of strength. If he could ever get you to focus your entire life on Jesus. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that's going to hurt your feelings. But that's okay because me and the Holy Ghost ain't afraid of none of you. There's been very few, if any, moments of your life where all of you was pointed toward God at any given time. At the same time. I said all of you. I'm talking about not just your spirit. I'm talking about your mind. Your heart. Your emotions. Your appetite. Your passion. There have been very few, if ever, moments in your life where you were totally pointed toward God. There's always been one standard, but there's been a lot of direction. And you are pulled in several at one time. I can't even get folk to come to church and sit for 30 minutes in a service in the, under the anointing with the Word being preached and be all present. We're never ever present. You ever be talking to somebody and while you're talking to them, they're texting somebody else? I want to knock their phone in the river. 
Because, I mean, if I'm not important enough for you to give me your total attention for five minutes, I don't need to be talking to you anymore. Does anybody, uh, maybe I'm just cantankerous in my old days. I will stop talking to you. I will quit my story because I want your attention. It's not worth my breath. If you can't just give me five minutes, get back to them in a minute. I'm right here. And that's the way God feels on church on Sunday. He steps down and says, I'm right here. Why are you distracted? Why do they have your heart and they have your passion and this has your appetite and this has your emotion why are you spread around I'm right here don't you see me I'm your standard and if you would ever get pointed everything toward me you'll be healed you'll be made whole you'll be reconciled you'll have strength but he can't get us pointed at the one who is lifted up there's been times you would have quit you would have given up you would have you would have not had the power and the strength to continue. But your spirit drug your physical into a place where you kept going. The answer's been there the whole time. But when you're fighting on the battlefield, it's hard to see what's happening in the, on the mountain. Sometimes I get so tired of fighting, I just got to trust that the banner's still up there. Because I feel like if I take my eyes... All you parents that's got kids, you know what I'm talking about? I feel like if I take my eyes off the battlefield to find God, the enemy's going to steal what I'm fighting for. <laughs> Anybody ever had those kind of intense battles? Where I feel like if I, take my, if I take my attention off of this for just two seconds, I'll turn around and expect the thief to steal. And where do they go? My, guy, my kids, my marriage, my job, my career, my health, it's all gone. I, took my, I was just trying to find God and... And I just sometimes have to trust that the banner is there because I don't want to take my eyes off of what I'm fighting. Remember, remember the Wizard of Oz? My girl Dorothy wanted to get back to Kansas. And a whirlwind had just took her and her little dog to another environment. And she was lost. You remember the story, don't you? Follow the yellow brick road. What's at the end of the yellow brick road? You remember? The great wizard of Oz, right? And he's going to help her get home. Except he couldn't. They found him. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. It was all smoke and light show with an amplifier system. And come to find out, he had no ability to help her get home, remember? And she felt like everything was lost. She was in a strange land, in a strange environment, fighting to get back what she had lost. And the one thing she thought could help her, let her down. And all of a sudden, is her name Glenda? Glenda? She finds her and says... You had the power this whole time to get back home. Because none of this was real. It's all been in your head. And any time you would have got your head pointed the right direction, click, 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 there's no place like home. And you are on your way to a better tomorrow. You just had to get your head right. 
I have pastored for over 20 years trying to help people get your head right. Because your emotions will lie to you. Your heart will lie to you. Your circumstances will lie to you. That's why you got to know what the standard is and keep your eyes on the standard. Because the enemy wants you to believe that all your help is lost. That there's no help coming. There's no Calvary to the rescue. That you are never, ever, ever going to get back what you lost. Because it's gone forever. But I've come to tell somebody this morning, his name is Jehovah Nisi. His banner never changes. And if he can get you underneath it and get your head in the game and get your head pointed right, he will flip that thing around, turn it upside down, tweak it, and give you the victory over every enemy that comes against you. And if you can receive that word this morning, why don't you give God a hand clap of praise? Hallelujah! He has every problem already solved you just have to get your head pointed in the right direction I think my next series is going to be a short one going into our new season on temptation because it's not what you think it is most people have no working uh, definition of what temptation looks like feels like they only know after they've fallen all that was temptation. Get your head on the standard. And the enemy won't be able to lie to you and tell you that this is never going to get any better. Get your, get your head on the standard and you'll see your family that's lost like he sees them. Full of potential. See, all you see, mama, is heartache. All you see, Daddy, is missed opportunities. But what he sees is what he saw in you. Because people gave up on you too. People probably said about you the same thing that you're saying about them. But God didn't let it change his opinion of you. So what other people think about me is none of my business. Because I know what he thinks about me. And his banner over me is love. And so I want you to understand that if you ever get your eyes on the standard, you'll see yourself healthy. You'll see yourself well. You'll see yourself whole. You'll see your family reconciled. You will see things the way God sees them because he operates through faith. Get your eyes on the standard and out of the gutter and you'll experience a newness of life that you've never, ever seen before. My life's under God. He's above me. Why would I ever let my eyes drift beneath? God bless you. Promise of victory. I love you. Thank you. Appreciate you.